This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. It's uh, the week before Father's Day, and this has been designated as National Men's Health Week. Should be a good time for us to talk about some exciting developments in the areas of men's health. And to do that, we're going to speak with Greg Stebbin. Greg is an editor with Men's Health Magazine. And if you're a man, young or old, or a woman who deals with men, young or old, we're going to have some interesting developments to talk about in segment two. And just to give you a hint about the the topic at hand, it turns out that uh, dogs apparently are able to sniff out cancers in people which means we have a rather remarkable and perhaps a bit unexpected new tool for modern medical science to use, using uh, something that's been around a while. Human beings and dogs have been uh, hanging out with one another for tens of thousands of years now because uh, we see pretty well and they smell pretty well. And uh, these complementary strong points made us uh, pretty awesome in the hunting department. So I guess you could say we're seeing uh, an entirely new application of this uh, symbiotic relationship between uh, human beings and our canine pals. Stay tuned for that. But let us start today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question today is the 17th of June, making, I guess, which makes today's program the closest show to the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. On this date in the year 1579, the English explorer Sir Francis Drake landed on the coast of California and claimed the land for Queen Elizabeth. This caused some UC Berkeley students centuries later to uh, fake a brass plate, which was alleged to be the one left by Sir Francis Drake. They argued about this for decades. It was a pretty good piece of work. But eventually, metals analysis proved that it was a hoax. On this date in 1837, the American inventor Charles Goodyear received his first patent for rubber. Goodyear developed a process called vulcanization for treating crude rubber, which enhanced its elasticity, strength, and stability, and permitted us to have something to drive on. On this date in 1950, the world's first kidney transplant was performed in Chicago. And in the early morning hours of this date in 1972, five men were arrested for breaking into the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. at the Watergate Office Hotel Apartment Complex. Four of the men were Cubans, and the fifth was James W. McCord Jr., a former CIA agent and specialist in electronic surveillance. That day, the suspects who said they were anti-communists were charged with felonious burglary and possession of implements of crime. On June 18th, however, it was revealed that McCord was a salaried security coordinator for President Richard M. Nixon's re-election committee. The Watergate scandal would eventually drive Richard Nixon from office. That burglary was a very strange event which has never been adequately explained. We've talked about it uh, on this show in the past and need to do so again. The only President in U.S. history to resign was Richard M. Nixon. So uh, the Watergate affair, uh, I think, has something to teach us. But we will not be investigating that today. Our uh, quotes of the day, and we have two today, for which we can thank Millie. 
come from some great wits of a century ago. First, Oscar Wilde, who said, Most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions. Their lives, a mimicry. Their passions, a quotation. The other comes from T.H. Huxley, who said, One of the unpardonable sins, in the eyes of most people, is for a man to go unlabeled. The world regards such a person as the police do an unmuzzled dog, not under proper control. I've always hated the fact that as we go through life, people ask, you know, what's he do? That's a question that sometimes has a rather complicated answer, but we all like a little shorthand. He's a plumber, as if that explains everything. Our quip of the day comes from David Letterman, who said, Sarah Palin is saying that President Obama should make sure these oil companies are acting ethically and responsibly. This from a woman who shoots animals from a helicopter. And our quick joke of the day comes from Jay Leno, who noted, A gladiator graveyard's been discovered in England. Well, finally, the Spartacus family can have some closure. Our stat of the day, according to Rasmussen, is that 49% of U.S. voters believe that it's the pro-Palestinian activists on the Gaza-bound ship raided by Israeli forces last week that are to blame for the deaths that occurred. Yes, that's right. In the U.S., 49% of voters think that the unarmed protesters who were hitting and beating up the commandos are to blame for the bloodshed, compared to 19% who blame Israel. 32% are just not sure. We'll have more to say about that and uh, what's going on in the Gulf of Mexico a little later in the program, but let's, uh, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? It was a good week last week for public relations when it was revealed that BP has bought search terms related to oil spill and Gulf oil disaster on major search engines such as Google, Yahoo, and Bing, so that an ad on the top of the results directs readers to a BP site with pictures, videos, and news releases that provide the company's view on cleanup efforts. Learn more about how BP is helping, the site says. And I checked this out, by the way. It's true. I guess we should thank those guys for being just so darn helpful. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the Grim Eater, which was the term placed on a New Zealand man who attended up to four funerals a week in order to feast on the free food and take some home in Tupperware containers. Apparently, a funeral director finally realized that the, quote, mourner, unquote, was up to no good and alerted other funeral homes. And, you know, sometime or other I'm going to have to tell some tales about my visits to Los Angeles with the local version of the Grim Eater in Southern California, who I've sort of tagged along with. Long story, story for another day. And no, I did not tag along with him to funerals. But let's just say I have some experience with people who sort of do this kind of thing. And it was an ugly week for remorse last week after New York Magazine reported that convicted swindler and Ponzi scheme operator Bernie Madoff told a fellow inmate, screw my victims. I carried them for 20 years. 
Maybe the people at British Petroleum can loan Bernie Madoff uh, some of their PR folks. He needs a little help, it seems. We have The Week magazine to thank for uh, all three of those items, and uh, we'll quote them again from their Only in America file, which carries this item. A Texas man has been arrested for swimming in the Gulf of Mexico. Police say Jesus Mares, 22, waded into the oil water off Grand Isle Beach in Louisiana, even though it had been declared unsafe. After getting cleaned up in a decontamination unit, Marish was charged with criminal trespassing. All right, so let's talk oil spill. The editors of the Wall Street Journal, who may or may not be smoking angel dust, said the following. The last thing the Gulf region needs is more of Obama's feigned anger. Last month, the panicked White House shut down all deep water drilling projects in the Gulf and slapped a six-month moratorium on new deep water drilling permits. This draconian overreaction, akin to grounding the nation's fleet of planes after a single crash, now endangers 200,000 jobs and millions of dollars in paychecks and taxes for a region that desperately needs them. Adding, punishing the entire industry is a political exercise designed to mollify an anti-oil left. Yes, that's right. We know these people are watermelons. They're green on the outside, but red in the middle. Of course, what the Wall Street Journal leaves out is that this is a ban on deep water oil drilling platforms, which is a tiny minority of offshore oil platforms. And since, as we're now learning, uh, the techniques that are being used to shut off this uh, oil spill are experimental. There evidently is uh, nothing you take off the shelf to fix this problem, which you have to admit is kind of a bad idea. But I do love the thinking over at the Wall Street Journal. How outrageous would it be to ground the nation's fleet of planes after a single crash? Well, it wouldn't be outrageous at all if you were grounding, say, all the 747s because it turned out that the 747s were crashing due to a problem that hadn't been fixed. In fact, it would be somewhat irresponsible to allow those planes to keep flying, wouldn't you say? And the admitted size of the oil spill continues to grow from 1,000 to 5,000 to 12,000 to 19,000, currently to about 50,000 barrels a day. What do you bet when it's all said and done that that estimate by independent observers that it's close to 100,000 barrels a day is going to turn out to be correct? New York Times sounded off on this, noting that uh, all the information we have about the scale of this disaster seems to be coming from BP, a source that has demonstrated quote, shaky credibility, unquote. And of course, since BP may have to pay up to $3,000 for every barrel of oil that's spilled, well, they do have a vested interest in downplaying the amount. I don't know if you saw some of those pictures uh, that have been in the media about some cleanup efforts. <laughs> that would be in quotes, cleanup efforts, which uh, shows guys in white suits at a Pelican uh, uh, rookery down in Louisiana, using what looks to be modified paper towels. Anyway, I've heard some people really bitterly complaining about, uh, you know, how this is going to wreck the economy by stopping the oil drilling. Well, they're stopping exploration in deep water wells. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? Remember the Ixtoc 2 platform blowout uh, from the Mexican oil company Pemex a couple decades ago? It took them 10 months to drill a relief well and get that thing capped. And, and, and as far as I recall, that was not in deep water. 
All right, you mentioned a couple of weeks back about uh, the excellent article in New Scientist magazine about the age of denial. It was a special report looking at why so many people refuse to believe the truth. To quote from the magazine, From climate change to vaccines, evolution to flu, denialists are on the march. Why are so many people refusing to accept what the evidence is telling them? Over the next 10 pages, we look at the phenomena in depth. First part of the special report was written by Michael Shermer, previous guest on this program and Scientific American skeptic columnist. Said Shermer, I am a skeptic, but I'm not a denier. Deniers like to call themselves skeptics, but the two could not be more different. What's the difference between a skeptic and a denier? When I call myself a skeptic, I mean that I take a scientific approach to the evaluation of claims. A climate skeptic, for example, examines specific claims one by one, carefully considers the evidence for each, and is willing to follow the facts wherever they lead. A climate denier has a position staked out in advance and sorts through the data employing confirmatory bias, the tendency to look for and find confirmatory evidence for pre-existing beliefs and ignore or dismiss the rest. Skepticism is integral to the scientific process. Denial is different. It's the automatic gainsaying of a claim regardless of the evidence for it, sometimes even in the teeth of evidence. Denialism is typically driven by ideology or religious belief, where the commitment to the belief takes precedence over the evidence. Shermer gives some examples and closed by noting that uh, one practical way to distinguish between a skeptic and a denier is the extent to which they're willing to update their positions in response to new information. Skeptics change their mind. Deniers just keep on denying. In a sidebar to the piece, uh, some true disbelievers were categorized. What I found curious was that each one was rated according to its influence. Getting one star in the influence uh, category were Holocaust deniers. Their belief, in a nutshell, is that the systemic mass killing of European Jews by Nazi Germany is a fabrication or at least a wild exaggeration. Schirmer rates those as one on a one to five scale in terms of influence, along with tobacco denialists, who note in a nutshell that there's considerable uncertainty about the science linking tobacco smoke to lung cancer and other, other health problems. The origins of this, of course, are with the tobacco industry. At this point, Shermer ranks those as only having one star on a one to five scale. But some of the folks who promoted that disbelief have moved on to bigger and better things. More on that in a minute. But higher on the scale of influence is vaccine denial which in a nutshell is the umbrella term for a disparate movement claiming that certain vaccines either, quote, one, don't work, or two, are harmful. Schirmer rates this as having three stars on a five-star rating system. And indeed, a lot of diseases have made a comeback thanks to the fact that uh, some dubious claims about vaccine harm have influenced a lot of parents to not vaccinate their children. Doing much better, ranking four stars on a five-star scale, is the subject of evolution denial, which states, in a nutshell, that the theory of evolution is an atheist conspiracy to undermine religion. These people, of course, refer themselves as, as intelligent design advocates, or sometimes creationists. And uh, sadly, these people have been causing problems everywhere in the United States, trying to influence the content of textbooks, and in the case of the Republican Party, providing a kind of litmus test that you have to have this insane belief to 
run for office on the Republican ticket. What was it? Three of the seven Republican uh, contenders in 08 uh, didn't believe in evolution. And according to Michael Shermer, ranking five out of five in terms of influence are the climate deniers. In a nutshell, they claim that uh, global warming is either A, not real, B, not caused by humans, or, or C, doesn't really matter anyway. Their origins are corporate astroturfers dating back to the early 1990s. And we would note, per a subsequent piece in New Scientist by Deborah McKenzie, in a piece titled Manufacturing Doubt, that, quote, many denialist movements originate as cynical efforts by corporations to cast doubt on findings that threaten their bottom line. Big Tobacco started in the 1970s, recruiting scientists willing to produce favorable data and bankrolling ostensibly independent think tanks and bogus grassroots movements. One such think tank was the Advancement of Sound Science Coalition, TASSC, set up in 1993 by tobacco company Philip Morris. TASSC didn't confine itself to tobacco for long. After getting funds from Exxon, it started casting doubt on climate science. Noted Deborah McKenzie, such links between denial movements are not unusual. A number of think tanks in the U.S. and elsewhere have been funded by both oil and tobacco industries and have taken denialist positions on smoking and warming. Evidently, TASSC folded when its true identity became known, but its successor, Junk Science, still rubbishes tobacco and climate research and warns people not to believe any scientist who says something, quote, might be true, unquote, or uses statistics, <laughs> which pretty much covers all scientists. Anyway, I recommend that you read some of these pieces from New Scientist, uh, further, uh, further report by Jim Giles. Mentioned how the mainstream media sometimes plays along with this stuff. He cited the example of John Kerry's 2004 U.S. presidential bid, which was somewhat derailed by a group of Vietnam veterans called the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth, who disputed his war record. Although their, lar their allegations were largely unfounded, dozens of media outlets repeated them. Charles noted that to the casual listener and reader, it seemed that pundits everywhere were questioning Kerry's war record. In situations like that, a phenomenon that psychologists refer to as the illusion of truth can kick in. Hearing something ten times doesn't mean there are ten different pieces of information. But the more you hear something, the more likely you are to believe that it's true. And so it is with denial. If everyone appears to be saying that climate science is corrupt or that the MMR vaccine causes autism, it takes on the appearance of fact. All right, we've got to take a break in a minute. Before we do, let's, uh, let's take a look at what... Uh, New Scientist in its technology section had to say about this BP oil blowout. Said writer Phil McKenna, the warnings were there a decade ago, yet little has been done to address the risk of systems failure in deep sea drilling operations. As a consequence, millions of liters of oil have now spewed into the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Why wasn't preventative action taken earlier? Article notes that the risk posed by deep-sea operations and specifically the potential impact of the failure of key systems have long been understood. In the year 2000, the U.S. Department of the Interior's Minerals Management Service published a report warning there were several difficulties connected with deep water well control. Also, that experience in this area was limited, and with many rigs having very high oil production rates, a blowout could be a potential showstopper, that's in quotes, for deep water drilling in general. Report four years later by Texas A&M University for the MMS 
warned that while drilling technology had advanced, safety technology had stagnated and highlighted blowout control as a particular concern. Four years later, 2008, a Society of Petroleum Engineers report warned that the hydraulic rams used in many blowout preventers to shut off oil flow may lack the capacity to cut through the high-strength drills used in deep-sea operations. Despite these reports, last year the MMS granted BP's Deepwater Horizon drilling operation a categorical exclusion from all environmental reviews under the U.S. National Environmental Policy Act. Such exclusions were meant to apply to projects where, if any problems occur, environmental damage was likely to be minimum or non-existent. Until last month's spill, the MMS had granted hundreds of such waivers each year to drilling operations in the Gulf of Mexico. Said a spokesman for the Environmental Group Center for Biologic Diversity, it is unfortunately a very common practice, and in this case, it had catastrophic results. Anyway, the article concludes noting that with the blowout protector failing, the options open to BP are limited. Other steps to stem the flow of oil are both slow and unproven. This 12-meter steel box, the, uh, the dome they're talking about, those have been deployed in shallow waters but never tried at such depths. Anyway, the point of all this, I guess, is that uh, putting a moratorium on further drilling, again, seems reasonable to us. I mean, you should have some, you know, at least approximately workable backup plan if things go wrong in almost any area in life, shouldn't you? Anyway, let's take a break. Before we do, I want to end on at least one good note. So I would like to cite the fact that several American silent films lost and forgotten for more than 80 years were recently unearthed in New Zealand's film archives, and they'll soon be available for public viewing on the Internet. Included in the collection, there are a silent feature directed by the legendary John Ford and a period drama starring Clara Bow. Which reminds me, we've got to bring uh, William Wellman Jr. onto this program. We talked about it last year. A year has gone by, but doggone it, we'll do it. He did a presentation of Wings, directed by his father and starring Clara Bow, last year at the uh, Film Museum in Fremont, California. That was a marvelous experience, and (laughs) I know, I know. A year has gone by, but if you're a regular listener, you know that sometimes we just take a little extra time to get to the guests we're looking for, but, but we usually do get there, so stay tuned for that. And stay tuned for our talk with Greg Stebman of Men's Health Magazine about some uh, important news in the area of health. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Walk luck and you looked in time Never looked back, walked tall at bar 